Welcome back to Coaching Kern, and I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kern, America's most beloved sports writer and Hall of Famer, and current Colorado Rockies scout, Will George. We are in episode 49. Can't believe we've gotten that many episodes in so far, guys, of the Coaching Kern and Podcast Network, and this is our version of Real Voices of the Game. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, 15 years with the Orioles and then the Indians, now the Guardians. Started as an accounts manager, then director of baseball operations, and moved into the assistant GM role. After that, followed up with the GM position with the Colorado Rockies from 99 to 2014. Current baseball analyst. Um, love to watch him. One of my favorites, if not my favorite, to listen to. Straightforward, totally honest. And now uh, founder of uh, a very innovative software, uh, Win Reality, which we'll get to a little bit in the show. So guys, first, uh, Kevin and Will, welcome back to the show. And and Dan, thanks for joining us as a guest today. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Boy, Dave, that that uh, career summary was really quick. Um, honestly, it seems like it went even quicker than that. <laughs> so uh, with a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, but kind uh, of made me reflect back on, on uh, many different experiences I've had in the game. So I appreciate that. I haven't yeah. heard that in a while. We'll dive deeper in it today, but I, I like the beginning of it when you started out as an accounts manager, worked your way all the way up as a general manager. And in today's world of instant gratification, whether it's skill development or career advancement, everybody wants to start at the top. And that shows our audience, which is filled with you know current uh, people who want to climb the ladder in baseball, plus our grassroots audience to show that you know if you, if you get your foot in the door and you, you put your head down and you work hard and you're good to people, good things can happen to you. So that's a tribute to you. Um, in terms of how you go to work every day. Um, guys, Will, Will or Kevin, do you want to start off? Or you want me to start off today with, with a little question? Go ahead, Dave. Okay. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, and I, I know we, we don't want to get – Dan, we talked before the show. We don't want to go too deep into it, but this new innovation that you have in baseball, it's, it's a little close to my heart because we have kids in our program now, our one-on-one program, uh, which is about 5,000 kids. We have uh, – a number of kids using the win reality program for hitting right now. And just, just wanted to, a soft touch on it. We can go as far as you want with it before we get into the nuances of the game today. But could you explain to our audience out there, which is 42 countries right now, um, what's, what's win reality? How did you come about seeing this as a need for the game right now? And, and uh, where do you hope it goes? Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Um, first of all, win reality, win stands for what's important now is an Ackerman, um, that we used in both the Indians and the Rockies development organization about focusing on what's important now. I think that's imperative to a young man's development as he stays focused on the present, not on the past and not on the future. So kind of want to mirror our company with that. Um, I think what what's different about our company, guys, than other companies, it was created by baseball men for baseball people. And um, I think most technology in the game is the foundation of it is it comes out of certainly trying to satisfy a need within the game, but it's not that applicable in my, you know, from my perspective. And I've seen a lot of technology companies over the years because it doesn't mirror what players really have to do in the game. From the, the creation of the ideas, guys, is a really simple one is that um, when you look at the hitting process, I think the one thing that is difficult to teach is everything that happens before the swing. And we don't teach it um, because no one knows how to teach it. 
And that's where game reps are so incredibly important to the development of any player is the ability to see the ball out of the hand over and over and over again. It started with a foundation that hitting is based upon balance, rhythm, and timing. But all of that starts with your ability to quickly um, recognize this kind of what I, we call spatial awareness, which is the space between the time the ball is released and by the time you've got to start your swing because you're constantly trying to rhythm up the pitcher that you're facing. So what frustrated me from a player development standpoint is no matter what I tried, um, pitching machines, they don't, you can't replicate any kind of rhythm or timing off of them. They're great for high velocity training, but not real world training. Uh, hiring XBP pitchers that uh, pitch for us in, in our development system to throw batting practice never worked because they, they didn't throw strikes. And then uh, even getting kids to throw in between their starts, um, you know, we'll have to talk to Will about that. I could never get any of our pitching coaches on board to do that because of risks of injury in between their outings. Um, and then when I got to Colorado, you know, the, we could have a whole show on the challenges of uh, altitude baseball. But the biggest one that I, they've never solved, and I, I never did either, which was the difference between movement of ball at home versus movement of ball on the road, and it's a real phenomenon. So it started out with a thought process, okay, how can we develop players better? What technology is out there to replicate pitch movement from a hitter standpoint? But when I got to Colorado, I started to look at companies and technology that somehow I could stumble on something that could help us replicate ball movement at home before we traveled on the road. Um, so that was the evolution of the concept. And then I was just blessed. I have an older son. His name is Chris. He got released by the White Sox. The timing of me leaving the Rockies, we decided to start this together. I created the idea. He's created the business. And we've created a product that allows all young players, no matter where they live, what environment they're in. In fact, most of our kids utilize the system out of their garages or their bedrooms. They can train within our system daily, you know, for anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes, ideally, on pitch recognition skills. Um, so they, they can fill in that part of the process as relates to hitting. Let me state clearly, we are, we are not... We don't replace anything in the game. We're not trying to replace anything again. Everything else that's done in the game as it surrounds hitting your soft toss, your tee work, your regular batting practice, all of that is so incredibly important. We're just trying to fill in a missing link um, and solve a problem that I felt like the game hadn't solved. So hopefully that makes sense to you. We have clients at the big league level. We got clients at colleges, but the bulk of our clients are kids from the ages of eight and nine years old up to, you know, 18 years old. No, I, Will, go ahead. You had a question you wanted yeah, to add. Just, you know, I think after you hear, we, we, we hear Dan talk, uh, the reason why I've been wanting to get him on the show is uh, he has one of the best minds in the game uh, that I've ever been around in my career. And I've had the pleasure to work with him and, as I dug into win reality when I, when he told me about the company and you start seeing and, and as, as the millions of times on guys who failed in baseball, they had poor balance, rhythm and timing. They, you know, they, they never, 
develop pitch recognition. They never develop strike zone recognition. And then you start looking at the add-on to what this product brings. It's absolutely phenomenal for young kids to use and major league guys. And I know how many big league guys are using it who are, you know, right now in the MVP races in the league. So, uh, it, it, it's a fabulous product. And then to answer your question, Dan, on the uh, pitchers throwing BP, I, I've i always thought that they should have. And I never would have fought you on that because I did that and we did that for years. Uh, and I think it helped pitchers develop becoming pitchers, pitching to contact. And well, and you better have that discussion with Coyote because he fought me all the time on having oh. his starters throw BP in between their starts. I'll fight with him on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring that up on Thursday. No, I just, I just want to emphasize again is that, um, I mean, we get criticism like every company does uh, technology-wise, but, you know, we're not geeks. We are, we're truly baseball people. Um, and we don't want to replace anything in the game. Like, you can take BP within our product, but it's not like, you know, nothing mirrors the game than the game. You got to play the game to get better in the game. But we're trying to create a cost-effective product for kids to be able to utilize, you know, when they, you know, when their parents don't have the ability to drive them to a local batting cage to get instruction and things like that. But we're only trying to enhance coaches' jobs. We're not trying to take away anybody's livelihood. We're just trying to make it a little easier for them to help kids get better. Yeah. And we, and I can speak firsthand from using it both as I've, I've tried it myself. Uh, my, my, both my boys have used it and we have several players in our, in our grassroots programs using, using it. And I can, you know, if you don't mind me speaking a little bit on your behalf to say it's a cost effective way to get training in. It's also a, a great way to get low impact training in. So you're not busting up your body um, like these kids are. And then also uh, it's so expensive now to get into these cages and, be the amount of input these kids are getting from so many different sources that aren't necessarily at the same level that you're at or the people that are working with your, your system with. I just get concerned with that. So I always think the best teachers are the kids themselves as they're going through the program. So I think your product uh, satisfies all that. And, and I couldn't be happier with the results we're getting. So thanks for having that innovative mind to, to help get, make the game get better. And Kevin, you got something you want to add? Yeah, Dan, uh, basically a couple things. Uh, if you listen to Barry Bonds last night on, uh, if anybody listened to that with uh, K-Rod, he, he he, and this is why I love talking to Bonds about hitting, because he really was a student of it. Him and Tony Gwynn, I, I remember doing stories with both those guys, and, and Barry loved Tony. And a lot of the principles you're talking about, Barry puts into place. My question with this, my, my, uh, my uh, by the way, my 12-year-old grandson uses it, and uh you know, he's having success with it as well. But with the pitch timer coming, I'm just curious, and I don't even know if you thought about this, there's going to be less time for hitters, um, you know, getting set up and all that stuff. So so with a, a, a service like Win Reality at the major league level, at least, would, would it be beneficial because they're better prepared? I, I would think it would be, but I, have you guys thought about that with the pitch timer coming into vogue and the fact that, hitters will have less time to set up and do all the things they need to get ready. Yeah, Kevin, we're trying to mirror our software now. So each pitch gets thrown in the amount of time that the pitch clock will be in place. So hitters will get trained. You know, I, you know, I think you're right. I think I think hitters are going to have a harder time adjusting to the pitch clocks 
than starters will. Now, I think bullpen guys will have a hard time with the pitch clock. But I don't think starters are going to have a hard time with the pitch clock. But I do think hitters, uh, because hitters use that period of time to flush a bad approach to get their mind right on the next one. And so we're going to mirror that. But, you know, again, I, I don't profess to know that our product will help anybody in that regard. You know, our product is interesting at the major league level because hitters, I mean, you're talking about the elite of the elite as relates to picking up seams and the nuances. So some guys find all the issues there might be with the product and other guys like don't care. Um, so we really haven't based the future of our company around major league players because it's a fickle future, if that's the case. We've done more so around the youth because the hardest thing to do in the game of baseball is hit and more players stop playing the game at a young level for only one reason and one reason only. One, they get scared to get hit and two, they can't hit. And so anything that we can do to allow them to get comfortable in the box and feel like they can make contact, I think we'll, you know, get more kids actually being successful in the game. But Kevin, the big league level itself, I mean, that's like a whole different can of work. Just dealing with the big leagues, people who make decisions on whether they think the product is viable enough is almost comical to me. We could have a whole show on that. There, as, as, as evidence in our game, some of these people overthink the most common sense thing they possibly can. Well, as you well know, I'm not afraid to call the nerds out. And I was so happy to hear Alex Rodriguez use the term nerds last night. So... Uh, I'm making an impression, I think, uh, going along because I have had discussions with Alex, by the way. But the other side of the coin is I'm, I'm thinking, too, uh, and I, this is deeper than win reality here, but I grew up, you grew up, we were playing ball a lot. We were, and I grew up in a stickball community. Exactly in, right. A suburban community. So we'd be out there with those white sponge baseballs exactly. all day long. So we had... We had our own win reality, so to You speak. absolutely did, Kevin. No and, doubt. And that's why I think kids today, you make such a great point about hitting. They don't, they, don't, they don't work on it enough. No, they don't. The game is not a pickup game anymore in our country. It's an organized effort. And I think that's precluded a lot of kids from gaining a natural awareness of the game of baseball. We gain pitch recognition skills because when you had those little sponge balls, you could make them move like a screwball. Yep a slider, you could throw the ball and it would rise. I mean, you ha- and then you hit with a little stick. And so you had to have balance, rhythm, and timing, and you had to have pitch recognitions or your friends would just completely abuse you uh, and in your backyard. there was no fear factor because if you got hit by the sponge ball, it was no big deal. Exactly. But that's that, that doesn't exist in our society anymore, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead. No, just, you know, a- anecdotally going back to the pitch clock thing, um, when it came in this spring and I started doing minor league coverage, I loved it being a pitcher because I saw guys working quicker. The games were over in two hours, two hours and five minutes. Nobody could hit. And But along the way, I spoke to a lot of former hitters who brought up great points, especially for the younger hitters who are trying to figure out an approach and are given a uh, – an encyclopedia of information that they're trying to process that the the pitch clock at the really low levels until guys start figuring out an approach has got to be more than 14 seconds because they're trying to process so many things that they're giving these guys now. And that's, you know, one of the reasons as we talk about all the time, it's like, 
taking an SAT before every game and you see guys that have the paralysis of analysis when they step to the plate. And the basic things, balance, rhythm, timing, strike zone recognition, which all make you a pretty good hitter once you figure a lot of those things out, just aren't being emphasized in the same way. Kevin, go ahead. No, that, that's a great point, Will. And, and, and with, with uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask Dan, because he's there every night, I watch him all the time on MLB Network to get a real honest opinion. Um, why why am I seeing, and this, is, this drives me crazy, Dan, why am I seeing so many pitchers get ahead 0-2 with fastballs blowing right by the hitter, and then, uh, then the next pitch is some garbage slider? What's going on with the mindset before we even get into the pitch clock and all this stuff? Why don't they see what's in front of them anymore? How come we've lost that ability to watch the game and react off the game? So let me ask you, do we want to talk about this topic then for the rest of the show? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think you guys know the answer to that. I I think that um, predicting performance for me is the most challenging part of the game of baseball because I think there's no absolutes in the game. I think the game is played in more shades of gray than black and white, but we have, we have game plan the game to the point now where we analyze as an industry, every predictive count. So the game has now come down to probability odds. Right. And so that's cards. They're counting cards. Correct. It's all probability based. So if the probability based reasoning on an O2 count is, this hitter in this situation probability shows that if you throw a, a breaking ball here, you're going to get a swing and miss or a soft contact event 89% of the time. That's the pitch that's going to be thrown no matter what is actually transpiring on the field. The point that's missed, and whereas I'm a huge believer in analytics, probably more so than anybody on this call, the point that people don't understand about analytics. It tells the story of the past right? and the predicting of what's taken place in the past. And there's a useful methodology to apply that, but it doesn't take an account to what's actually taking place in the current present. And that's what's happened within our game is that your eyes tell you everything you want to know about the game. And then the analytics can confirm what your eyes are telling. But most of the decisions that you have to make in the game are a 51-49 coin toss. And the, but the 51% should be what's actually happening in the current environment in the game. But unfortunately, it's not. The 51% that's currently being applied in our game is based upon the probability odds. That's why you see so many 3-2 counts because the odds are telling him you can't go back to a fastball here, even though he's thrown two fastballs right by the hit. Would you say it's even that close, Stan, with the odds, 51? I would not. I would not even say it's that close. But I will say, Dave, the more – I think the one thing analytically-based front offices are finding – is that, and I think you see that with the resurgence of Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter, what happened in Cleveland this year with Terry Francona. I think you'll see Bruce Bochy back in the game. 
is I think there's starting to be a realization that if you don't create an organization that is balanced in its viewpoint and has an applicable, practical, reality-based way to apply the numbers, you're going to have an organization that consistently fails because you've lost the common sense approach to applying to, you know, to what I call the human analytical part of the game. So I, I, I do have hope that more people with um, a, a resume that's more wisdom based because they've earned it over the years. Like I say to people all the time, you can borrow somebody else's knowledge because you can study that. I could study anything you guys are proficient in and learn that. What I can't take from any of you guys is your wisdom because you can't borrow somebody else's wisdom. That's been acquired over years of making bad decisions more than likely and learning from those decisions. So when you're faced with those predicaments, again, you know how to revert back from your experience on how to apply it in a different way. And I'm beginning, you know, I see hope within our industry that at least that part of the the development, scouting, um, what the front offices are, are, are being stocked with, I don't see any push there, but in the dugout, I see a kind of more of a renaissance of what's going on within our industry right now. And we see that battle, I think, from the outside, the front office with the dugout. How has this battle with, I guess, I'm sorry to keep using the word battle, but this overemphasis on analytics, how has that affected the way managers are managing the game? Well, you know, you know, honestly, and, and Kevin and, and Will will we'll get this, you're always going to have battles with the people in the dugout. So I can't tell you that in all my years of working in front offices that we didn't have some disconnect between the front office and the field staff. I mean, the very fact that you watch a game and no one even ever thinks about this. If you stand in the dugout and watch a game from the dugout versus sitting up in a box and watching a game, you could watch the exact same event take place on the field and have two totally different points of view that come out of it. So the field manager and the field staff, they are so locked into winning that game. That's all that they see is anything that's tied into winning that game. From a front office standpoint, you're totally locked into the process of how you won or lost that game and the improvement or lack thereof of the players involved in that competition. And the only way you do that in the front office, because it's the only way you can survive a season, because if you are the one, if you totally hang your nuts on the fact of winning and losing a game every single night, when ultimately you have no control over how that game is won and lost any single night, you won't survive one season in the game. The game will drive you absolutely crazy. So the only way you survive from a front office standpoint is focusing on your process. Are we getting better at our team fundamentals, at our execution? Are players getting better in their skill development? That's how you have to evaluate the game. But now when you add in a layer of analytics and you create another point of disconnect between the front office and the field staff, and you have a ton of front office people that really don't watch the game to focus on the process. They're watching the game to see if the analytical approach to the game is being run through the dugout. It really creates a disconnect between the two universes of 
of the of, of what makes up a baseball organization. I hope that makes sense to you guys. Well, Dan, I want to I want to follow up on that because I have a, a, a story that I can tell. Also, I also think it's much easier. The game looks much easier from above. It's just it's just a fact in being on the field. It does. But but the point I want to make is I'm on a road trip with the Yankees, a West Coast road trip, so I'm spending a lot of time out there. I love batting practice for a lot of reasons, same way you probably love it. And I'm at probably five, six games into the road trip. We're in Oakland, and one of the Yankees' chief nerds is on the bench, and he's got his computer open. And I notice every batting practice, he's he's looking at his computer, and he's not looking at video from batting practice, by the way. Um, I took a peek. But so I went up to him one day, and I said, hey, I'm just curious. And this is why I probably fell out of favor with Yankees people in the front office, uh, some of them at least. Some of them still love me. But uh, I said, why? I, I'm just curious. Do you ever watch baseball? And <laughs> and it didn't go over well. But uh, my point was made across. So these guys, if you're not watching baseball, if you're not watching the right fielder from the Red Sox, uh, or or even uh, yesterday I'm watching Robbie Grossman make a throw home, that a guy should be out by 15 feet, and he's safe because nobody has an arm anymore. Or uh, Ref Snyder gets under a fly ball with two hands in the rain as opposed to, uh, you know, outfielders catch the ball with one hand so they don't block their vision. So I'm seeing mistake after mistake after mistake. It's getting worse. They're watching more games. They're producing more analytics. And I'm not, I'm not here to totally bash analytics. I, I believe in it, too. I had Jack McKean way back in 88. We would always talk numbers and things like that. But when they push analytics more than the actual fundamental, and you just mentioned it, the actual teaching of the game, we got a major problem in this sport uh, for years to come. Because in the NFL, they know how to catch a football for the most part. Uh, you know, in the NBA, for the most part, even though the free throw shooting stinks, you know, they can at least shoot a three-point shot. But in baseball now, we're losing the complete player because we have the front offices who don't have a complete vision of the game. Well, I think it really starts now at the lower development level in every organization. Kevin and Will has been out scouting. So this whole debate about exit velocity versus hitters, um, I mean, I don't care if you've got a great exit velocity if you don't make consistent contact. I do understand if you've got a great exit velocity and you make consistent contact, you're going to get a lot of hits, and a lot of them are going to be impactful hits. You have a very high slugging percentage. But batting average is still, to me, an incredibly important number because, you know, like the Jeff McNeils of the game are an incredibly important part of the game. And, you know, what? I am hopeful that the elimination of shifts or, more importantly, making the infielder keep your feet on the dirt, I, I am hopeful that one of the byproducts of it that it will have a renaissance for hitters, you know, to hit. Um, that may not be the case. Maybe I'm chasing fool's gold, but I am hopeful of that because that's one example. That young man sitting on the bench – he was measuring exit velocity. Every swing he was categorizing, he was categorizing exit velocity because there's a ton of front offices that believe, and they teach this up and down their system, as long as you hit the ball hard, we don't care if you strike out. And I just can't even wrap my arm around that thought process because I'm of the belief that if you're a really good hitter, you're going to learn to hit the ball harder. You're going to sit on counts. You're going Absolutely. to understand where to catch the ball in front of the plate. Right. You're going to understand how to drive the ball away. I mean, every great hitter in my career ended up hitting for power, except for Juan Pierre, and he just wasn't built that way, because they simply learned the art of hitting. And so I think we've got it 
reversed in our game. I think we have taught impact to power rather than impact to hit with the power coming. And I, I think that's why three true outcomes are such a problematic part of our industry right now. Dan, we um, we talk a lot on the pitching show with Mark and I, and I've talked about it on here, is we're always chasing the shiny object finished product. You know, we're chasing the exit velocity, but we're not building the foundation to actually square the ball up. We're chasing pitch shapes, spin rates, and, uh, and velocity versus a foundation where if – if I fix your foundation and you're balanced and on online and through the ball every pitch, your pitch shapes are going to be fine. You're going to maximize your stuff. And, see, and Will, that's where analytics come in really helpful because when you have the foundation to fix that, then the analytics tell you exactly black and white without any argument. Look at your look at how your spin rate's gone up. Look at your tunneling aspect of your pitches yeah. have gone up. That's that's where because it then it, whereas we used to do a verbal confirmation of it or the hitter would right. tell us yeah. before we even have to do that now hey the analytics tell us that which is wonderful the problem is they're doing the analytics first right exactly before, and it's hey you know the the point of it is guys it's not just happening at the professional level right colleges are just all they most of the colleges just recruit off of that now. Give yeah. me a kid with high exit velocity. Give me the kid with high spin rates. Give me the kid with high velocity. We don't care about anything else. And so what do you think parents then chase with right. their younger players? Right. So it's a system that's it's just infiltrated all the way down through our youth levels. And that's, yeah. that's a cancer that it's difficult to eradicate. Dan, I would say 85% of the bullpens that I watch – there's no communication between the pitching coach and the pitcher. He looks at his Rapsodo ratings after every throw. That's it. There's a guy sitting there with an iPad, and they look at the they look at the shape, the spin, and the velocity, and that's it. See, and, but you have to understand why they do that. Is because the the organizations have hired a ton of people. That's instead all. They of, know. Instead of hiring baseball people and teaching them those tools, right. They've hired those people who don't understand how to teach balance and separation and yeah. stay behind the ball, how you get your how to get a scene. They don't they don't know any of that. So right. they're not going to teach any of that. And yet the organization is organization well, has infiltrated themselves. Because eventually you're going to have Tommy well, John reasoning. Well, we're having that on a, we're like having now. that Kevin on yeah. a consistent basis. Yeah. That's why our injuries are what they are. Yeah. At all levels. Youth levels too. The yeah. number of UCL injuries at the youth levels has it's atrocious. Quadruped down up forty percent from ten years ago. Uh, yeah, you know we're we're going to have Rick Peterson on, and I know he's done a lot of studies. And uh, well, hold on, Will. I got to tell you that the great thing about having Rick Peterson on is you and I get one question. Well, that's it. But <laughs> um, we'll just turn him loose and say, Rick, how many surgeries are there for Tommy John on the under the age of eighteen? And the increase in that, Dan, as you just said, is unfathomable to believe. Yeah, you know, but I am hopeful, guys. I mean, you know, I want to be the grandfather of get off my lawn here because, right. you know, it, you know, we. I think that's what's happened in the game that we. I think baseball people, in some ways, and Kevin might find this comment a little offensive, but Will and you and I have talked about this. 
a lot of baseball people have created our own issues because when, see, like I came into the game because I didn't play professionally. It was a hard slog for me to climb within an organization. It was really, really challenging for me. So I've seen both sides of it and I live both sides of it. When the analytical people try to enter the game, it was demonized. It was not embraced whatsoever. And I think anything in our society that's demonized, it always comes back around. So I think it's incredibly important as an industry like now, we stop demonizing both sides. We start recognizing the value of intellectual capability to the improvement of our game. And we value the instant instinctive intelligence in our game and mirror both of them. And I think the conversations need to be more focused on how do we do that instead of trying to destroy both sides in the, in the, in the process. And and, and, and a a lot of it comes down to ego, Dan, is that people's egos are too big instead of saying, Hey, what are we going to do to make this, this guy, the best player that he develops his God-given ability and helps us in the big leagues. And I agree completely. And and just be respectful of each other. You know, uh, I I know there's value in analytics. I don't understand it all completely, but I've tried to learn as much as I can. And there's some things that I go, wow, yeah, you know, if I had that when I was trying to teach Charlie Nagy something, you know, we could have went and looked at that and gosh, it would have helped even more. Well, but, I agree, Will, but if you continue to put the cart in front of the horse, right. the horse is going to be valued. Right. Yeah, and I agree, Kevin. But maybe, again, we're, you know, with I talked about, you know, with Buck's success this year. And, you know, I'm so, I agree. That's a big right? one. Buck is a big one. I'm so yeah. grateful for that within our game. Well, what does Buck have, though? And, Dan, you can speak to this. Buck is the only manager I know, I think, out there right now. And there might be another one, maybe, maybe Tito. Uh, who has the ear of the owner. That's so important to have the owner in your corner. And how many managers have to do that, have that ability now? Because the, the, all the uh, the layers of GMs and president of baseball ops are all with the ownership, as we just saw with Dayton Moore going on uh, in Kansas City, and they're not with the manager. So I think, I think Buck opening up that line of communication with the owner is good for all managers in the future. I agree, Kevin, completely. And I think people are beginning to realize you take quite a risk on hiring someone that doesn't have wisdom in that particular role because it's a that's an impossible you know, I, I always say to people the two hardest jobs there is in the game of baseball is a scouting director and a major league manager. They're the two hardest jobs uh, within the game. So the more people I think the more people recognize that you can't take chances on guys in that particular role. I think the game will become better for that. And then I'm hopeful that'll spin off into other areas. Hey, I personally know there's a huge competitive opportunity in an organization that balances both, both the analytical side and the human analytical side of the game exceptionally well. I think you can create quite a competitive advantage. I think the Dodgers have done that. Well, I, I want to make one other point. I'll turn it over to Will and Dave and I'll be quiet for a while, but Damon Oppenheimer finds Aaron Judge and they, it was on the boots, scout, you know, on the ground scouting, talking to the family, 32nd pick. It wasn't a fluke. It was really good homework. And, of course, he develops into who he is. Damon Oppenheimer, I'm not saying he should or shouldn't, but he never got a sniff 
and hasn't gotten a sniff for a GM job where other people in that organization have already had two or three chances. Agree with you completely, Kevin. Why don't they recognize guys that find talent? And and you come from a scouting background too as well. Those scouting guys, why aren't they uh, appreciated more and being given – if, to me, if you had a great scout as a GM and then you filter in all the good analytical people and you have a strong manager, isn't that the balance you're searching for? Yeah, there is. I, I, I think the answer to that is pretty obvious, quite honestly. I think owners, um, if you think about it, creation of wealth, for the most part, yep. they, they look at everything in an ROI standpoint. So if I invest A, what is my return on B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Scouting directors, for me, there's science behind it, but there's a lot of art behind it, too. And so if, if an owner sits down with a scouting director and that scouting director attempts to explain, no matter what his track record is, he a, a, a attempts to explain the nuances of his role and what makes him great at what he does, I don't think that resonates at all with an owner because I don't think an owner can ever wrap their arms around that experience. I know from my experience trying to convince my owners that I've worked for, which I've had a few, to even add like a rookie ball club. And I would try to show them the return on their investment of one player using just a one war value, what that economically meant to the value of that organization. That was like Chinese hieroglyphics. I mean, it was a really different argument. So I think a lot of these people get passed over because they're not that eloquent in their ability to express thought in a way that resonates with an owner's comfort level. Good point. Yeah. You know, I do think that, uh, you know, the owners, ownerships of most clubs have become very big corporate uh, people that live in an analytic world and I agree with you, that. Know, you know, the numbers are there and that's why we're going to do it. And I think, as you said, eloquently, a Harvard educated young guy who's in your system, um, who understands the numbers can present things to an owner that that owner is going to probably buy a little bit more than a savory bet baseball guy who uh, also has some, you know, a, a long level of intelligence, but also a lot of wisdom in the game. And um, there has to be some faith in that. And, you know, the, the, the guy in New York did take that faith in Buck Showalter, and I think it's paying some dividends for him and maybe some other owners will realize the value in, in that wisdom. Yeah, I, I do think some of the problems, I mean, one of the issues I've taken a front with the commissioner's office overhaul, and believe me, that's a hard job. That Everybody that works in that job, I mean, it's a lot easier to do that job when you're not the one actually doing it. But I think they've infiltrated our game with too many people that, I mean, I could even argue they look alike, but they think alike. And so there's this groupthink <laughs> mentality that's now existed in our game because everybody has come through such a similar filtering process into so many key roles within our industry right now. And that never happened in the history of our game. The front offices were always made up of, oh, just a new assault of different people from different backgrounds and different personalities and different life experiences that created a uniqueness to our game that's now have been vetted out because 
there's like, you know, people think about it. If a job becomes available, the owner calls and looks for candidates that he should consider for that role. And the candidate pool is only coming from the same group of candidates year in and year out. Whereas how these roles used to be filled, and Kevin can attest to this, that owner would call up another owner or another GM or someone that had been around the game for years and say, hey, who should I talk? I'm going to make a change. Who should I talk to about that particular role? That does not happen anymore within our game. No. No, they would even, the smart ones uh, would even call some writers. Correct. Correct. And that just is now, so you have, and I think that's why the disconnect that happens between the players union and the owners, the disconnect is players don't want to be looked at as a piece of a portfolio. They want to be looked at as an individual, as part of a team. Right. And I think that has created this whole disconnect uh, within our industry, because I think how players are valued bothers them a great deal. But they're valued because everybody looks at a player and looks at and say, says that most of the part they say the same thing is how can I extrapolate more value out of that particular guy for less money? Yeah. So they I don't think- look at the player. They just look at what the player's role is within the portfolio. And the irony of that statement is that if you have a player like Aaron Judge, who is a complete player, he's also a leader, a quiet leader, but he's a leader. So you're getting more for your money. And at the time, the Yankees never recognized it until this year when they dropped a big contract on him. That's why having having that voice in the dugout and that manager putting, you know, giving you that information is important, too, because I see the teams that are winning now are getting leadership from within. Um, and, and you see it with the, the Yankees are a good example. They've had their issues, and we'll see how far they go. But you can't tell me that not adding Anthony Rizzo, who was basically became a widget in Chicago and they didn't want him anymore, didn't help judge, which makes the Yankees better. The things with the uh, Buck has done with the Mets has created that team atmosphere you spoke about. So that's how you get a team. You get it from leadership from within and also from the manager, not just – getting somebody, and I'm not ripping Theo because I've known Theo since he was assistant PR guy. And by the way, when he was an assistant PR guy with the, with the, with the Padres, he's handing me a sheet of paper one night. And I said, Theo, by the way, and he's like 25 years old, I said, you're going to be a GM before you're 30 because Larry Latino is going to take you for the ride. And he laughed at me. But we now have the tree of Theo everywhere. And that's what you're talking about when these guys are all looking alike and acting alike. Yeah, and I even think Theo uh, will tell you that. He oh, he go- learned, Theo's learned a lot of stuff. Believe Absolutely. He has a lot more faith in players than he used to. Yeah, he's got a lot of wisdom right now, too. And he learned that the hard way, like all of us have within the industry. And any of us that have any humility realize how many mistakes we've made along the way. And you learn from those mistakes. I think great points you've made, uh, Dan, is you know, players are not dividends, they're not stocks. You can't break them up into pieces. you got to look at the whole whole picture. I think Kevin will hit the same point. I, I think we're, we're actually making progress, maybe bringing the analytics world with the intuitive world together on this show here. I got one quick question on that, and maybe it's a, a deeper answer, but analytics, is it an absolute number or is it more of a conversation that has to be had? Uh, I think it's both, Dave. I think it's both. I think uh, the beauty of numbers is that they don't lie. 
But I think numbers have to lead to a conversation because where analytics are the most powerful is when you apply them in a way that directly affects the performance of the game, of a player within the context of a game. And the word context, I think, is the one word we all should be talking about religiously. Everything in the game has to be talked about as it relates to the context of uh, whatever issue you're, whatever issue you're discussing. I think great point. Will go ahead. No, I. Uh, those are great points. You know the 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 other thing, and Kevin mentioned it, and Dan's mentioned it. Um, we need to create more leaders in the game. We need to create more leaders in the dugout, more leaders amongst players, more of a team atmosphere where the guys care about each other and uh, create that culture in minor league systems. And I, I think that that, that part of the game is being lost, um, just chasing uh, exit velocity, spin rates, and other things that all seem to be more important and behavior is just look the other way and say, nobody is saying, Hey, you know what? We can't do that. You know, uh, and, and true leaders do that. And, you know, truly good teams don't show up the other teams. Don't, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's a time and place for celebrations, but, um, you know, the game is evolving away from and not ha- having enough leaders and not creating the proper cultures uh, throughout systems either. Well, it's hard to create leaders, Will, when the game has become at a very, very young level uh, rewarded based upon um, individuals. Not, I'm trying to say is based upon raw data and not skill. Yeah. And so the more we can focus on the skill aspect of our game, and what I mean by that is a player that has to take his raw ability and hone it so he can execute his skill. The more we reward skill and not raw data, the more we will develop leaders because skill players understand the value of teammates. Right. In the context of winning really talented raw players they've always it's always just been about them right and Dave, you probably see this at your child's level your kids level manifests itself even more so um, yeah. in the way the game is structured absolutely it's uh it's people trying to create in their mind what they believe is the greatest 12 year old of all time and how that's measured probably has no value or forward movement in the game of baseball. It's just at that moment in time, that number or that value or that measure says my kid's the best on this weekend, give them a ring type of thing. So Yeah, and that's where I, my disconnect with perfect game, and I've told the perfect game people that because I really like those guys a lot. And I think they've done some really good things for our game. Um, but the thing I really have a disconnect, disconnect is the perfect game rankings because the rankings are based on velocity, exit velocity, running speed, though it might have no context to improve a player in a game. Nothing about their rankings talks about skill. It's just a raw ranking of guys' tools. And I think if they would incorporate uh, part of their rankings that relates to how that player takes his tools and applies them to help his team win from a skill standpoint in a game, players will chase that. They're going to chase whatever you put in in front of them as a way to get recognized for a college scholarship, 
you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that kids and parents are chasing. So I, that's where we really have a disconnect. Yeah. Well, I have I the think. answer for that, Dan. All you have to do is create a new category that can, you can put numbers to. So why don't we create the baseball player category? I agree with that, Kevin. Complete. We used to on scouting reports. Yeah, we used yeah. to have a grade on scouting port, and the grade was can he play? Yeah. Can he play? And that yeah. was just as important as any of the tools that a and, scout would write and, up and report. And we, we evolved even further because we had a player in Colorado who was playing at an all-star level above his skills. You know, and, and you know, you, you know who I'm talking about. And he finally made some money and he's... Yeah, he's in New York teams. now. Yeah, exactly. And he's helping teams <laughs> win wherever he plays. He's, he's in the middle when he's healthy of anything good that makes his team win. And we'll have to talk about that trade at some point in time, guys, because Will was there for that trade. He walked out yeah. on me, too. And so uh, we'll have to share that at some point in time. Uh, no, you could go ahead and share it. That, uh, you know, but that was a uh, that was a great trade for us. And he never should have left, considering he was still a category on our scouting report. <laughs> yeah. I think well, that well, we can save that. We can save that one for the next time we have Dan on. But yeah, I absolutely. To, uh, well, I did want to go backwards before I ask my final question, which we always ask all our guests. But uh, the, 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 you know, your background, obviously Baltimore, uh, but the Indians, the Indians fascinate me. Uh, and now they're the Guardians, of course, but you were with them when they were the Indians. And, and here they are winning another division. I mean, part of it is being lucky being in that division. But what, wh- why do the Indians uh, and now the Guardians have continued success uh, when, when the game has changed so much across the board, they they certainly have used analytics to their advantage. But they also, you know, just by having Tito in the dugout, have have a lot of uh, you know underground wisdom as well. So, what is it about the Indians that and Guardians slash? Because I can't just call them the Guardians because I want to bring their history in there. What makes them so uh, special as an organization? Trust. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, they. Uh... They've got abundant trust in every single uh, vertical of their organization. They communicate exceptionally well. I'd like to think we laid the groundwork to do that. I certainly think they've evolved way back from then. But I think the one thing that was implemented back in the day that they've now taken to the extreme of being well done. So we implemented uh, an individual player development programs with with the Indians, and Will knows this, before that was ever done in the game. The game was taught mostly, I would think, in a large segment population-based thought process. So everybody kind of did everything the same way. What we started to do was started realizing how important taking little chunks of development, little pieces with individual players and applying them on a consistent basis. So we had plans set up that Charlie Nagy would have his own individual development program versus another pitcher or another position player. What the Indians have done from there, taking that concept, they've taken it to another level and even applied some physical aspect of things that if a player's body moves X and he does this over the rubber, we're going to take him in the draft because we know that our pitching development process can take him from X and turn him into the Y. If a hitter shows signs that he can do X things within a box, 
that's our kind of guy. And I think they've become really proficient at it because now they've developed, uh, developed this like identity profile of taking a guy and how they develop a guy and then how that guy is transitioned from the minor league level to a staff at the big league level that makes them very comfortable with the skills they have and they communicate it exceptionally well from the top to the bottom to make that happen. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a great answer. And, and finally, we do this with all our guests and you can take your time uh, with this answer. You don't have to rush right to it. You can think for a second, but it's a simple question, but it means some, it's depending on who we have on it, 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 we've been getting some great different answers. But uh, the question is simple, and here it is. What what does being a ball player mean to you? And it's not necessarily you, yourself as a ball player. I'm talking about in general. What does it mean being a ball player? What does it actually mean to you? Uh, Kevin, I will tell you the three things each great player has possessed around me in my career is – they love the game when the game didn't love them. And that love made them search every single day on how they individually could get better that day, no matter what was happening around them, which led to the second point, a ball player, somebody who is incredibly present focus and a ball player that only a ball player, somebody that only controls what he can control. When you put those three things together and you watch that player on the field, he has a total awareness of everything around him that makes him good and makes his, the players around him as good as they possibly can be too. Uh, great answer. Thanks so much. I love that. That was that is. Uh, you know, I think it's a great message to the young kids out there too that are listening to the show. If you love something, nobody can ever take it away from you. And we made this uh, note to our, our kids this weekend where whether you're 0 for 3 or 3 for 3, based on your approach to the game and your hustle and your demeanor, nobody should be able to tell the difference. We need to get the same guy every single time. Um, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. I look forward to having you back. I think we can have you on every day and uh, fill a whole year plus up with all the experience and wisdom you have in the game. Continued success with Win Reality. We're looking forward to that. Uh, growing uh, deeper into our grassroots systems and as it grows up to the majors. Um, tell our audience quickly, where, where can they find you, um, social media? Where can they listen to you on, on TV? And and we'll sign off with that. Yeah, well, I'm not a social media guy, so they're not going to find me on social. I do have an Instagram account, but I only post family stuff on that. Uh, I'm, on, I'm not on Twitter. I don't do Facebook. Um, so uh, I'm on M MLB Network on all of their platform shows. Um, I call myself the utility player for the network. So they just plug me in wherever they need me. And I'm good with that because I like being part of a team. And uh, you can find WinReality at, you know, winreality.com or you can go to the Oculus store and you can look at our product there too. Um, so either way, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I encourage you guys to keep doing what you're doing because it's the individual choice of trying to make a difference in something that you love. And if enough people together just make that step themselves, that begins to add up to a tidal wave of, of change. So I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Yeah, and Kevin and Will, thanks for your, your – Yeah, great show, guys. Today. And we are uh, Coaching Current and Podcast Network, uh, our version of Real Voices of the Game, Episode 49 with Dan O'Dowd. Dan, thanks again, and have a great week, guys. we got a full, 
a full show podcast for you this week. 